Welcome back to the FNOS New Brunswick podcast. Our regular listeners will know that our community has an intense focus on the local Highland Park and New Brunswick area. But our conversation this week continues our two-part discussion about the global FNOS community and how those of us here at FNOS New Brunswick can impact lives both near and far. Uh, if you were here last week, you hopefully were really encouraged by he- Evan uh, or, or Yvonne, excuse me, Yvonne Mawarire, who talked about his experience with God in Zimbabwe. And it was a special moment for us, I think, to be encouraged by the global vision that he had. Uh, today, we're going to do something a little bit different and talk about the global vision that we at Ethnos have here that God has given us to better engage New Brunswick and the wider world that we live in. And so we want to get started with a question this morning to get us going and get us thinking and ready for this conversation. I want you to turn to your table partners and for the next two minutes, talk about this simple but perhaps challenging question. When was the last time you went out of your way to love someone else? What went well? What went wrong? How was that experience? It could have been just this morning. It could have been a year ago, perhaps, or you can think back maybe 10 years ago. There was a defining moment where you went out of your way. Take a brief two minutes and process at the tables with your, tar- with your partner. All right, who wants to get us started here this morning by sharing kind of what you've been reflecting on uh, at your tables? When were you last challenged to love somebody? What went well, what went wrong? I saw Deborah's hand go up first. Yeah, Deborah, get us started. Um, The barbershop where I'm at after I do re-entry on Tuesdays, um, a lot of people come through, but one of the barbers that worked there, I went to school with his mom. Anyway, um, I have... I've seen him in an uprage because when something goes wrong with him, he holds on to it. And I took out the time a day, couple of days after to let him know that stop letting, when something goes wrong, stop letting his whole being absorb it. You know, so that's what I did. All right. He took it real. Okay, that's good. Let's give, let's give it up. Thanks, Deborah, for getting us started. Yeah. Who else wants to share a story? The last time you were, you were challenged or went out of the, your way to, to love somebody well. What went well, what went wrong? Anybody else? Yeah, did you forget? Yeah, I ended up moving to New Jersey to take care of my grandma who had dementia, yeah. which, yeah. yeah. And what went well and what was challenging? Well, she had dementia, that was challenging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She could be very violent. Um, but I learned so much about my family yeah. and like our history and where we come from. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, thanks. And and we got a chance to meet you. If you didn't do that, we wouldn't have met you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go up for Jupiter. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Anybody else? When was the last time you were challenged to go out of your way? Anybody else? Heard a lot of conversation, which is good. Yeah, okay, okay, over here, over here, all right. Um, this is in the past, but I had a coworker, she was 81, um, and she injured her her leg, and so she, she has a dog, and so you had to 
yeah, she needs someone to walk her dog every day. And so I would go over and, and help walk her dog every day. And then that was happy because it, it made her happy. The challenging part was picking up the poop. <laughs> yeah, that's real. That's real. Thank you, Emmy. Let's give it up for Emmy. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is a, um, this is a fascinating question, right? Because uh, I think we are put in situations on a very regular basis where we have to go out of our way to love somebody, right? I mean, how many of us can think of an opportunity this past week, in the last seven days, where you were put in an opportunity to either choose to go out of your way or maybe, maybe not? How many, how many of you can think of a situation like that? Okay, yeah, most of us, right? And let's be honest, most of us choose to not go out of our way. On one hand, we choose that because our lives are busy, right? Our lives are very busy. We have a lot of demands on our lives already. We have a lot of responsibilities. I think about the parents in the room. I mean, you're already so tired by trying to take care of your own kids that anything on top of that is just a burden, right? I think of those of you who are in school. You're studying all the time. You have lots of stress because of deadlines. And oftentimes, it's just another thing. Your work deadlines, for those of you working, uh, your, your financial pressures, to go out of your way to love is easier said than done, right? Now, of course, when Jesus comes into our world, and many of you are familiar with the teachings of Jesus, especially the, his teachings around love, you and I know that Jesus was constantly challenging people who wanted to follow him to love beyond themselves. Today, as we take a moment to think about this idea of God's global visions for us, what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment and think through God's unique challenge to us at Ethnos to love well, to love beyond ourselves, to even go out of our way to love. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how for the early Jesus followers some 2,000 years ago, one of the ways they were challenged to love beyond themselves was to actually form communities of faith that would love each other and love their cities well and join with Jesus in trying to love beyond themselves. This is something we see in the teachings of Jesus this is something we see today in the movement of Jesus, and this is something I believe we are called to join in here at Ethnos and do it well. We're going to be taking a look at a story in the early record of the movement of Jesus. Uh, it's recorded in a book called Acts, and let me just give you a quick backdrop to the story we're about to read. Uh, this happened some 2,000 years ago. Jesus is here. He came. He left planet Earth, and when he left planet Earth, he left his teachings, his movement, his ideals to a small group of people known as the disciples. Uh, very soon after that, after Jesus left, a God came upon the disciples in the presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, if you're familiar with that story. And as a result, many, many, many people began to follow the ways of Jesus. And the reason they followed the ways of Jesus was because Jesus, of course, left us with a revolutionary message a revolutionary reality. 
that God has come into our world and began to make, begun to make the world right. God has come and begun to push out evil and dysfunction and brokenness and bring wholeness and restoration and love. And so this movement begins in the city called Jerusalem, and literally thousands of people begin to follow the ways of Jesus. They have an encounter with God through Jesus, and they begin to follow him. But what happens very quickly is that people get upset, specifically the religious and political leaders of the time. They get upset, and they begin to crack down on this movement. In fact, one of the early followers of the movement named Stephen dies as a result of this crackdown. The movement in Jerusalem has to scatter because of this crackdown. And so we come upon our story here, and we're going to pick up on what happens as this movement gets forcibly spread out into the early uh, world of that time. Take a look. We're in Acts chapter 11. Uh, the story is on your half sheet. Let me read it, and I'm going to reflect on three basic ideas from this half sheet here. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, that's what I just described, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. These people that were getting scattered were Jewish. They were you know, based in Jerusalem. Now, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks or non-Jews also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hands was, was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, there's a lot going on in this brief excerpt, this brief kind of picture of what happened some 2,000 years ago. There are three things I want to talk about. We could talk about many more things, but three things I want to talk about in this theme that we've been reflecting on this morning already, this theme of going out of our way to love. The first thing we note is that early followers of Jesus here established a community of faith, right? They established a community of faith and love and transformation as they were persecuted. And not, not only did, like, not only was this established by just followers of Jesus, specifically, if you notice this first paragraph, this community was established by everyday people, everyday people. Notice specifically that none of the big shots in the early Christian world, the people maybe you've heard of named 
Peter or John or those kind of people, those big names, established this community of faith. It was everyday people that we don't even know their names. Something interesting to observe, right? Now, as this community of faith and love and transformation gets established, the second thing we note is that a network of other faith communities gets involved so that this community of faith can get established. Notice, right, in the second paragraph that when things begin to happen, people in Jerusalem send some people there to check it out. They send this person named Barnabas, and Barnabas was like, wow, there's something really good is happening. He decides to go to Tarsus to pick up another guy named Saul, and there's like this web of relationships that comes together to get this community of love and transformation established in this new city of Antioch, right? And then last but not least, You'll note the third thing is that as uh, this community gets established, well, this isn't quite in our excerpt, but it's in a couple chapters later, this community actually decides to continue to actually send people out to establish new communities of faith and love and transformation. If you're taking notes, you can write down Acts 13. That's where we read of Antioch sending out this person named Paul, and Paul ends up establishing all sorts of communities of love and transformation in the name of Jesus in the early Roman world. Now, why, why are we making this note? Why are we just highlighting these three points? We're highlighting these three points because the reality is this is the story of ethnos as well. Some of you are familiar that ethnos, we began public gatherings just over three and a half years ago, and we were established by everyday people who decided to get Ethnos started? Here, let's take a look at some of these pictures. Uh, some of you will see some people in this picture. Yeah, uh, can we get to the pictures? Yes, this was the group that got Ethnos here in New Brunswick started some three and a half years ago. Yeah, yeah, you see some people, you recognize there's Lydia. I told you Lydia's been around, around for a while. There's a very small version of Leora, if you know Leora. Uh, there are very small versions of my kids there, and there's Miss Deborah, of course, and some others. And um, now, Ethnos, we got established three and a half years ago, but of course, not by ourselves. A network of people established us. And that's the next picture. In fact, uh, over a hundred, actually hundreds of people decided to pray for us, decided to give us over $200,000 over the course of four years, decided to send people to us. Some of you know Curtis and Emmy. They came from an ethnos church in San Diego and moved here to help us get established. Some of you are familiar who, of who Eric is, who Chuck is, some of these other leaders in the ethnos network. They came together to help ethnos get started. This is a picture from San Diego, by the way, um, when they sent uh, my wife and I and a few others here in New Brunswick. And then, of course, you're familiar that, well, ethnos, we continue also to help others get new faith communities started in other cities. And so some of you are familiar that in our brief history, three and a half years, we've actually financially and also through giving of people helped establish five other ethnos communities. We've sent uh, Rachel, if you remember, and that's the next picture, Rachel, our first youth director and worship director, we sent her to Durban, South Africa, to help get that started, this is her going away party. Uh, we've sent resources and money, committed literally thousands of dollars to help Los Angeles get started, to help Queens, 
New York, uh, where else? To help St. Paul, Minnesota, um, we, we've, we continue to join in this movement. This is something, again, I hope you can see, it's established in the early movement of Jesus. It's something that ethnos, we continue to do. And today, we get another opportunity to step in to what God is doing in establishing these sort of communities of love and transformation. We get another chance to love beyond ourselves. Some of you are familiar uh, with this reality that Young and Elizabeth Kim, who've been with us for almost two years now, have been a part of a program here at Ethnos called the Ethnos Residency Program. And what this program is, is it is a program here at Ethnos where we give people two years to understand and understand how to start communities like this. And after two years, we prayerfully send them out to a new city to get a new community established. Over the course of the last two years, Young and Elizabeth have been prayerfully asking God, like, God, this is a great program. We're doing great things here, but where are we supposed to go next? Uh, today, they're going to come along with their partner, Michelle, and share what God has been putting on their hearts about where, they're go where they will be going. Let's give it up for Young, Elizabeth, and Michelle. Can we give them a hand as they come up? Should I stand or sit? Either way. Okay, I'll be comfortable. I'll sit. <laughs> so, three of us, uh, his wife is not here, Julie. Uh, four of us, uh, we're planning to uh, plant a church near Phoenix. And uh, we want to tell a little bit of a story how God prepared us uh, for this moment. Uh, we feel that God had prepared us from childhood. Uh, all the way to now in order for us to plant this church uh, for this moment. So I will get started and Elizabeth will, will join us and then uh, Michelle will tell you a little bit about uh, the church itself. So for me, I think most of you know that I was born in, uh, in Korea and uh, I spent uh, my first six years in Korea. And the only things that I really remember is going out in the field, you know, playing with my friends, running around and catching frogs. That's vivid in my mind. I caught a bag of frogs, put them in a bag, came home, and I left it be. So all the frogs came out and flooded my house, and uh, I was so worried. Uh, but I didn't get, uh, I didn't get punished. It was with my, bro my brother. You know how it is. Why didn't you take care of brother? So these are the things that I remember about Korea. Not much. Uh, I do remember food. Uh, the, distinct flavor of street food. I still love those food. Um, and then when I was six, uh, our whole family moved to Brazil, uh, where I went to first grade to fifth grade. Uh, in Brazil, uh, six months later, I was able to speak. I learned the language very quickly, very quickly. And, you know, by first or second year, I was translating for adults. You know, adults learn slow. So going around translating uh, Portuguese, and um, that was my first language in Brazil. But unfortunately, uh, we came to America, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Michelle can testify, I don't even recognize the language. So I was 11, and we came to Queens, uh, where 95% were Puerto Ricans, not just Latinos, Puerto Ricans in my street. And they all looked at us kind of weird, what are you doing here? 
We didn't know, we just went in. They were so kind to us, uh, they helped us uh, settle in. And uh, as you can imagine, I went to junior high and high school among Latinos and African Americans, and all different kinds of immigrants. In, in Queens, it's every immigrant you can think of, they come to <laughs> Queens first. So a few people I remember is uh, uh, Anatoly, Anatoly, uh, Dimitri, uh, Sergey. Uh, they're from Russia. Sergey is a great guy, really mature and articulate. Uh, well, Dimitri is not. Uh, he was so annoying, I did not like him. <laughs> and uh, I had Colombian friends, I had uh, friends from uh, India, Guyana, from all these uh, different places. And uh, in the beginning, I thought this was kind of weird because well, this is America. <laughs> so all these other people here. Uh, but I loved Queens. It was a wonderful experience. They embraced me. It was comfortable. It was a place where I felt uh, very comfortable. And on to college, same thing. Um, when I went to seminary, I realized all these ethnic groups spent time together. They were sticking together. Koreans were spent spending time together and Caucasians together and a few Latinos. And when I tried to join the Korean group, uh, I felt a little strange. I was a little bit, uh, uh, didn't quite understand what they're talking about. I joined the second generation Koreans and uh, my background is Brazil and I didn't quite fit there either. I was okay in all these different groups, but I didn't quite fit in in any of these group, groups. So I think even in those days, God was preparing me for today. Isn't that interesting? All those experiences didn't really help me in my Korean ministry. Many of you know that I was in Korean ministry for 15 years. I planted a church, and for 15 years I went in Korean ministry, but it uh, didn't really help me there. But I think the next church, it will be multi-ethnic and uh, multicultural. This is the church that God had really prepared me uh, all this time. And uh, Elizabeth, why don't you share a little bit about your background? Well, my background, um, even though I am ethnically Korean, I was born and raised in Argentina for 18 years. I finished high school and came to the States. And growing up in Argentina, I remember uh, not fitting in, uh, especially because I was among the first generation Koreans being born there. So we were very recent immigrants in Argentina. And um, it was quite difficult. Uh, I remember facing prejudice and racism as an Asian person. Uh, also, I remember painful times growing up as an immigrant where I felt very alone and not supported, not because my parents did not care, but because they did not have the resources and also they were not able to fit in into the culture. Uh, they didn't speak any Spanish and basically they worked 24 seven. And I remember being growing up and being very jealous of my classmates uh, when you know the parent, the moms will be waiting home in, at the corner, and they will come and pick them up. And I remember always going home alone by myself. Uh, never had, uh, you know, if I had a question about you know uh, Spanish or any kind of a homework question, I remember not having the support at home because my parents didn't speak any Spanish. I remember having, uh, for example, like school plays and school events where my parents would not come because they couldn't assimilate to the culture. So uh, my background as an immigrant, I think, has given me the empathy to understand other immigrants 
to understand people from other cultures. And I have a special uh, place in my heart for the Latino community, the struggles of the children and the people who probably cannot fit in the culture 100% and the struggles that comes with that. And I think God was preparing me for that. I also never felt quite uh, like I fit in anywhere. Uh, I was not 100% Korean. Uh, I was not 100% Argentinian. And now that I came to the States, I don't feel I am 100% American. But I do know who I am. I am a child of God who is Argentinian, American, Korean. <laughs> so, and that has given me the possibility to be able to uh, engage with all different kinds of cultures and gives me the advantage of having of Asian face, uh, has given me the ability to uh, connect with Latino people instantaneously because they find it very amusing. <laughs> Especially when they hear my Argentinian accent, which is very predominant. So, however, there was also struggles in the Korean church. In the Korean church, as a pastor's wife for 15 years, uh, we had our, uh, it was very rewarding at, for many, many years, but towards the end, I felt very um, discouraged because I felt that uh, I wasn't being used uh, at, uh, to my potential. In the Korean church, you have to understand one thing. Uh, Korean churches, pastors, uh, they are put in a pedestal. And there are lots of expectations for Korean pastors' wives. One of them is that you're supposed to be very thin, very small, very kind, very soft-spoken. You have to be very good at cooking. You have to be very good at cleaning in the kitchen, be submissive to your husband, and say yes to everything, even though you don't want to do it. She's none of it. And I am none of it. <laughs> And I am none of it. I am loud. I like to talk with my hands. I like to laugh. I am not a size one. Uh, so, uh, so I felt very limited, and I felt uh, very discouraged and, uh, and very disenchanted with ministry. And I, f and I lost my love for ministry. Uh, but later on, as our church was struggling for some time, uh, my husband and I, in faith, we decided, I think God is calling us to do something else. And we had no plans. We had nothing. We didn't have a, uh, he didn't have a job. And uh, we had nothing. But in faith, we decided that I think God is calling us to end this. So it was a painful moment for us, painful for our congregation to come to that uh, decision. Once we closed the church, uh, we visited many, many different churches. And uh, somehow, uh, through Colleen's parents, uh, they connected us to, to Yukon. And the first time I came to Ethnos was an experience, a shock for me, because I come from a traditional background. And when I saw the, uh, the setup, the music, uh, it was definitely a cultural shock for me. However, I think that God really uh, opened my eyes to the possibilities and what ministry should really be like, where the church should be uh, in the community and make a difference in the community. While in the Korean church, I think at least many of the Korean churches that I know and that I've been part, we are very exclusive. We don't open the doors to the community. We are not changing the communities in which we serve. Basically. Uh, our churches are very exclusive for Koreans. So that's something that I realize and I am thankful uh, for Ethnos.
because it really, I have learned a lot through these two years. And really, God through Ethnos has given me uh, a renewed energy to want to go into the communities and bring people to Jesus. And I'm very thankful for that, for, and to Yukon very much. So to continue, just a little bit more about my experience uh, uh, in ministry. Uh, I think Elizabeth said it uh, well that uh, our background, our gifts, our experiences didn't quite match the Korean church that we planted uh, now 17, 18 years ago. Uh, and I think sometimes God places us uh, in these kind of situations where your gifts are not fully used uh, for a purpose. And uh, there may be many purposes, but some of the things that we learned and we experienced it um, is uh, we, we were humbled. And I think I remember saying to you guys that how can we become humble? How do we become a humble person? You have to be humiliated. And many times uh, two of us uh, were humiliated in this, uh, in this church, which really <laughs> kept <you> us. <laughs> They're going to misunderstand <laughs> that. <laughs> one, one way, I mean, we are Asians. Yeah, we have that sort of that uh, shame culture, respect culture. And whenever one family leaves the church, uh, they will all point their fingers at the pastor and sometimes at her. Uh, and say, you didn't call them enough. You didn't go to their house and you didn't care enough. And uh, yeah, certainly all those people that I trusted, I loved, they would point their finger. It's, it's, uh, it's shameful. It's like a respect. And uh, these kind of things... Uh, humiliated us, yet God really humbled us through these kinds of experiences. Um, another very important uh, lesson I learned uh, through that church um, as I transferred to Ethnos is that um, I discipled people there. Yes, I went to I studied Bible with them for many years, but I discipled them in a way that they would trust me to teach them, to guide them. I think Jesus discipled them so that they would go on and disciple other people. That was the root of all the problems. Not all, but many problems. So I think in Ethnos and through Incubator, uh, that's one important uh, um, lesson that I learned. That I have to disciple so that you will disciple other people so that everyone won't be pointing their fingers at me when somebody leaves the church. We're all responsible. So uh, among many things that I learned in Ethnos, I think I will take that with me. I will make sure I don't, I don't make the same uh, mistake. Um, now we come to Phoenix. I think we are running out of time. <laughs> I think maybe Michelle should explain the rest. Okay. So he's going to explain about Solos. Okay. Yes. Um, do I have time to talk about? How much time do I have? Two minutes. <laughs> Two minutes. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's going to be intense. Um, all right, so long story short, born and raised in Brazil, uh, similar story in many ways. I left, I left Brazil basically because Jesus changed my life, and I wanted to share the good news about what Jesus did with my life, and that took me into the shanty towns of Brazil, and then I heard about places where people didn't know anything about Jesus, and long story short, I ended up going to Turkey. And actually, we talk about two cities in Turkey, Tarsus and Antioch. It's called Antakya right now. Uh, so I lived in a town right in between the two cities. So it's one hour from Tarsus, where Paul was born, the Apostle Paul, to Antioch. 
So I lived in Adana, and that's like where my wife and I, Julie, if you look at the picture in the middle of this folder here, you can see a picture of my family. So that beautiful woman there, that, uh, <laughs> that uh, I met her in Turkey, and we were both serving God in Turkey, and that's how I ended up in the States. I never had any plans to come to the U.S., and, and that's how I ended up here. So our whole, our whole life in many ways, just like the, the Kims, has been like this journey of knowing how, how is God going to use us. And now we're at this point where we believe God has prepared us and called us to this time to, to start a community of people from different backgrounds, people who don't quite fit in, you know, in their own context. Like I, I was just telling someone this morning, uh, I've lived over half of my life outside of Brazil. So when I go to Brazil, they say, you have an accent. So I have an accent in my own language, I have an accent in English, I have an accent in Spanish, I have an accent in Turkish, but at least I have four languages that I can communicate with people from different countries and don't quite belong. But the beautiful thing is, like, just like I felt this morning, because we're the family of Jesus, we're this community that's being transformed and being shaped by Jesus. That is God's plan. We can become this one family where we can all fit together in a way with an, even with that always low-level tension of like not quite being 100%, but at the same time feeling fully accepted and fully welcomed because of what Jesus did, right? And so that's the same idea that we want to start with, with Somos. So Somos means we are in Portuguese and in Spanish. So, so we are a church. We are like this community. We are this group of people. And this, our, our idea is to, to see these diverse communities in Phoenix. We have a lot of immigrants, a lot of refugees, a lot of people, first and second generation, we want to see these people transformed into one family. So this idea, that's why the, the, the very cover, we say all of Jesus, all peoples, one family. So all of Jesus because we believe that we need to know and understand all about Jesus. Not just the, the good things, the things that we're excited about, but the things that are hard to, 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 to understand and hard to process, like turning your cheek to the, other, to the other side, like loving your enemies and all that stuff. It's like, wait, what? So uh, all of Jesus. So we were dedicated to understanding all about Jesus. All peoples with the S and the N. Why? Someone asked me, people or peoples? Peoples because we're talking about ethnic groups, different families. That's what, how the, the, the Bible talks about peoples. And one family because the only way the church in Antioch could become what they became. Because they're coming from all different backgrounds, just like ethnos. You look around, all these different backgrounds in Antioch. Until that point, most of the community of followers of Jesus were Jews. And in Antioch, they had the people like this room. There are all these people who were like, why are these people calling brothers and sisters each other? They're obviously not related. Look at them. <laughs> like, why are they calling each other brothers and sisters? Because of Jesus. They had to come up with a new name to call that community. Because they like, how do you, they're not Jews. They're not, you know, they're followers of this Jesus, Christ, Christians. That's how the name Christians came up with the idea of calling this new community of Christians, uh, followers of Jesus, became Christians. So our vision is to reach people like that, people like you and me, people who have come from different backgrounds, uh, people who never heard about Jesus, people who heard about Jesus but don't really understand what it means to, to follow Jesus or to know more about Jesus. So that, that's our desire, to become an, a community that accepts and embraces people in the different stages in their journey of following Jesus and making a new community that's assigned both to one another as we love and, and serve one another, but also to the city that God has called us to bless and serve. A little bit more than two minutes, but... Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, so it is, um, it's a pleasure. It, it really is a pleasure for us to be able to be a part of the movement of Jesus and to have moments like this where we get a chance to love beyond what we think we're able to do and to go that extra mile, so to speak, and love a different city um, that's not our city, to love a different people that aren't our people, um, to love in this way. And so we're so glad you guys are going to be joining in the mission of Jesus and that you're allowing us to join you on the mission of Jesus. Um, I'll let you guys sit back down. Uh, let's give them a hand again. Thank you for, for sharing. But Michelle has already alluded to, I want to direct your attention to your table and specifically to this pamphlet that all of you have. Um, so where, where, where do we go from here? Where, where do they go from here? Well, uh, Young and Elizabeth will be ending their residency here at the end of May. And God willing, in June or July, they will begin that transition to move actually to Phoenix. And as they move there, the hope is that they will, if you take a look at this, open up uh, your, your booklet here. On the top right, you'll see their uh, timeline. And that's kind of the, the desired time frame that they'll be using uh, to get a new community of faith established there. Now, what does this mean for us? Uh, it means a number of things. First of all, we're going to lose some people that we really love. Uh, I think many of us will be very sad that Young and Elizabeth will be gone, but we'll still be a part of a bigger family. Uh, they'll still hopefully be back every so often so we can hear from them. We'll still be in touch, of course. Uh, but number two, this does mean we get another opportunity to join in, like we have in the past with the different communities we've helped establish. We get yet another opportunity to join in. And specifically this morning, if you take a look at your pamphlet, there is this uh, slip of paper here indicating some ways that you may want to join in what God is doing in Phoenix. Uh, there are ways to pray. Uh, there are ways to give financially. There are even ways to move out to Phoenix and join them in Phoenix, if so God leads you to. Uh, again, people did that to get this started. Uh, the Johnsons are a great example of people moving in specifically to help get Ethnos uh, New Brunswick established. And we would not be surprised if God would actually put it on your heart to make a crazy move and to love in a way that you didn't think you could love before and move out to Phoenix as well.
And so what we want to do here uh, this morning and really, you know, through, through this season now, you know, these are big decisions, right? These are big moves that don't necessarily get decided on in a moment like this, but they, the decision can begin in this moment. And so what we want to do is give you and I some opportunities to make some decisions here this morning to join in. Three specific ways we're going to invite you to join in. Uh, one is obviously with the Phoenix, you know, uh, opportunity. We want to encourage you to process if you want to join in there. The second is perhaps this conversation has gotten you thinking, wait a second, Phoenix is pretty cool, sounds like a great idea, but I really don't know New Brunswick quite yet. I haven't really joined in what God is trying to do here in New Brunswick. So perhaps your step here today is to get a little deeper here in our city and join in a little bit more. And then the third is this. We've been talking about something, honestly, that is much more difficult than we can imagine. Remember, you remember how we started with uh, how many of you got an opportunity to love beyond your comfort zone this morning or this week but didn't actually take that step? I think all of us have that. And the reality is we aren't able to love until we have been loved ourselves. We can't stretch and grow and go beyond ourselves until we have received the love of God that was stretched and went beyond itself in order to make us very rebellious people against God, people who didn't care about God, children of God. And so perhaps your first move here today, your first decision is to say, you know what, I, I don't know how to love, and I need to receive love first. That could be the most important decision you make this morning.